on episode 61 of the High Performance Leadership Podcast, words that work and words that don't. In my office, we have a do not say list, a list of words that no one is ever allowed to say. You're listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast, insights and information from world-class leadership experts. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Randy Lane. Today, we're talking with Mary Shores. She's an author, motivational speaker, and CEO. Her new book, Conscious Communications, talks about the power of words, how messages we repeat can frame our thoughts and trap us in a negative mindset. Be sure to check out the show notes for an exclusive offer on her book. And now, here's our talk with Mary. Mary Shores, welcome to the podcast, Mary. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Can you kind of tell us a little bit about your background? So I am the CEO of the most unique collection agency on the planet, and <laughs> um, I will get into why we are such a unique collection agency. I started my company very young. I was only about 24. I was the youngest person in the United States to open a collection agency and obtain licensing for that. Also, you know, I'm a female, and, and back in those days, there weren't a lot of females in that industry. So when I was a little girl and all the other little girls wanted to play house, I just wanted to play bank. <laughs> so I, I had a I had a bank in my garage and, and I had fake money and I just drew up all these dollars and we didn't have, you know, printers back then. So I had to do them all by hand and cut them up and all the other little kids had to come through my bank in the neighborhood on their tricycles and bicycles and big wheels, if you remember those, and have accounts set up at my bank. So I always knew that I wanted to be in business. And when I was very young, I, I just had an opportunity and took a huge leap to start my own company. And it started off very, very small and grew and grew. And I just had a knack for leading other people, a knack for making change in the industry. And I created a system that we've used in our collection agency. I created a very like proprietary and unique system that I am now using to try to change the face of collections in general, because collections is such a punitive situation based on a lot of negative psychology. My personal belief and my mission is that I want to make people feel good about paying a debt because having a debt is a burden. It's a psychological burden and it's a burden that gets in between the person and living their dreams, like building a brick wall in between them and their dreams. And really it doesn't have to be that way. You know, they should feel good about what they're trying to accomplish instead of feeling shame. But you know, a lot of people don't talk about this. It's also a burden on the creditor because if you've if anyone has ever owed you money and even if it's a small amount of money and you find that person avoiding you, then you know that psychological burden that I'm talking about. So that's just a that's a small touch of my background and from there I went into personal development because I was a, always a big fan of Jim Rohn, who of course says you need to invest in yourself. So I went full on personal development for 10 years, which led to my book that's coming out. What's your book? The book is called Conscious Communications. And it, the subtitle is your step-by-step -step guide to harness the power of your words to change your mind, your choices, and your life. Interesting. So what's led you up to writing a book? What, what caused you to say, you know what, this is something I think I should do and, and put it out there in the world? 
that's such an interesting, crazy story that involves traveling and going to Lilydale, New York, which if you don't know Lilydale, that's actually the oldest psychic medium community on the on in the United States where in order to live there you have to talk to dead people. But we won't oh. get into that story for this show. Wow. That's what but, a dead person told you to write the book? Is that what you're saying? No, 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 no. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's just kind of a joke. But the the point is that, you know, when you when you want to write a book, sometimes you feel it inside of you or you know, you know you have this information that you want to share. But for many years my mantra inside my head was that I'm not a writer. I'm a CEO. I'm not a writer. And as long as I was going to have that be my mantra, that's a limiting belief, right? Or a barrier belief. That's what is stopping me from chasing after this dream. So I just little by little started going to writer's workshops. I went to see Cheryl Strayed and she wrote the best-selling book Wild, which was turned into a movie and very famous author and learned from her. Then I started going to more writers workshops and then I hit the one that was gave me my magic, which was when uh, Mike Dooley on the mic said, you know, if you teach workshops, just record your workshop and work with an editor and have that formed into a proposal. I've been teaching workshops for years and had never dawned on me to record them. So I did that and it worked out just fine. I got a book deal very, very quickly. And then I had a book to write. Wow. That's awesome. (laughs) Thank you so much. So tell us about your workshops. I teach workshops about collections, so upfront collections, teaching companies how to collect money. I'm also teaching my method to other collection agencies now. So trying to teach Dale Carnegie style workshops where we want to make them fun and experiential, but we're really touching on customer service. So what's going to happen in these workshops is I created a system, I call it Words That Work, and it goes right along with conscious communications. But there's three rules to Words That Work, which are in my office, we have a do not say list. This list is a list of words that no one is ever allowed to say. Hmm. And the list of words are no, not, can't, won't, unfortunately, and however. (laughs) So imagine trying to run a business without ever saying the word no. Yeah. And And now let's realize that this business that we're running without saying the word no is a collection agency. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, difficult. Yeah. So the second rule is that you have to replace negative words with words that work. So these are phrases that that I've come to understand make people feel really comfortable and, and get them more in a in a sales mode instead of a collection mode. These are things like what I can do for you is let's go ahead and I want to assure you I can completely understand. They're very simple phrases. And then the third rule is that you always say what you can do instead of what you can't do. Because let's be real, how many times, and I won't call out companies, but you know, how many times do you call your cable company and you are more frustrated at the end of that call than you were at the beginning of that call? Mm-hmm. Every time. Every, I was going to say, <laughs> how about every time? Or how many times did you call the airline and you're more frustrated at the end of the call? So my sort of goal and why in life became, I want the next person who calls my office to be happier at the end of the call than they were at the beginning of the call. So these rules that you're hearing, they're really based on the nervous system. I am a huge, huge nerd in my life. I am like, you. if it has the word neuro 
and science combined, mm-hmm. you have to believe I'm going to be learning about it. Neurogenesis, neuro, neurobiology, neuroplasticity. And so neuroscience is my passion right now. And so the reason we have this do not say list is because believe it or not, when, when your mind and your body hears these words, no, not, can't, won't, however, and unfortunately, what you do is it triggers your nervous system to put you in your amygdala or your fight or flight response. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you just, you, you gear up, you tense up, you're ready to now like take that person down. Like they're a bull charging at you mm-hmm. when the truth is they're just a customer service rep on the other end of the phone who really has never been properly trained. Right. Mm-hmm. So these other words, the words that work, they actually trigger your parasympathetic nervous system, which is the opposite of fight or flight. It's what we call rest and digest. My process, even though it's extremely simple, it's completely based on neuroscience. And then from there, once we learn the three rules, we're going to then learn the three steps of words that work, which are step one is validate. And you must always validate what someone says to you, regardless of what it is. And so validating is not the same as apologizing, because apologizing actually goes on the do not say list, because people apologize, and they're empty, they're empty, I'm sorry, they're not backed up with any meaning, and they really don't make the customer feel any better. So there shouldn't be an apology unless there has truly been a mistake made and an offer and a, and a solution presented, Right. So when you validate, you just really need to say to your person, you know, hey, I can completely understand how hard of a situation that is. So you're just consciously acknowledging what they told you, Mm -hmm. because if you don't do this, and I'm sure that if you've ever had a customer you've been on the phone with, when you don't validate, what happens is whatever story they're telling you, they start over from the very beginning. Right. But now they have to add more details because they think that you aren't hearing them or they don't, you know, they might not be able to put it into words, but they didn't feel heard. Mm -hmm. So they just keep starting that story over from the beginning. Or maybe you've been on the phone with your health insurance or, you know, your doctor's office and you find yourself constantly repeating yourself. The reason you're doing that is because you don't feel heard. Mm -hmm. So validation is a non-negotiable step and you can even validate good news. So when someone says to you, hey, Mary, you know, just want you to know that I, I just um, booked this this really big deal and it's going to bring me in lots of money. You have to validate that, too. You have to say, you know what? That's great. I am so happy you shared that great news with me. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. So validation is key. And then the second step is to plant seeds of happiness. We do this again by using the words that work, because when you can plant a seed of happiness in a customer's mind, it really reinforces that a positive solution is going to be presented. You know, when we're constantly telling our our customers or our colleagues or or anybody that we're communicating with, because everything communicates, but when we're telling them no, what we're doing is we're reinforcing a negative outcome, right? And we want to reinforce positive outcomes. So even if you have to tell someone no, you don't have to use the word no. You can say, you know, I want to assure you that we're going to find the best solution that's going to meet your needs. And what I need to do is take some time to research what those are going to be and get back with you. So the third step is to always use an action statement to tell the person what you're going to do. So this is when you're just informing them of what the next steps are. So that's that's in a nutshell, my very quick elevator speech about what Words That Work is all about. I feel like that system is very similar to... Chip, when you talk about trust, 
Yeah. I feel like going through those steps, they were very similar in how you deal with an issue. What you're saying here is the same thing that we teach and we believe that leaders need to use when they deal with subordinates or any issues that come up. We call it harnessing harmful behavior and how do we get people to slow down, to think a little bit and help walk through steps. I agree with you 100%. We, we are emotional beings first that justify with logic. We are not logical beings that have to deal with emotion. When you're in your fight or flight, your logic is offline. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You're, I call it a total systems crash or sometimes in the business, you know, they'll call it that your amygdala is hijacked. But you cannot be logical or rational um, or reasonable if you are in a fight or flight situation. And so you're right. Like in a leadership situation, just by having to come into the bo- boss's office is going to trigger someone's fight or flight response. We definitely use the amygdala as a starting point because I agree 100 percent that if and we have what we call the response chain, and that is that the meaning creates a feeling, and that feeling creates your behavior. And so the meaning is, is what triggers us. You know, the boss calls you into the office. Oh, no. So there, the meaning there is, if I'm going to the boss's office, it must be bad. There must be a problem. So that creates that feeling. That's where the amygdala fires off and starts sending all kinds of information, most of the time unjustified, but emotions are what trigger first. So now when you get someone on the phone and they are extremely upset, you know, they've been unjustified in you calling them, at least in their belief system, how do you get them from a level 10 irritated down to a place where you can actually get them to listen to what you have to say. So I I love that question because it allows me an opportunity to introduce what I call the frequency scale. So the frequency scale is to me, it's just sort of like a mood meter, right? Like I know, what I know for sure now is that everything that I say or do, every action that I take with a customer in my personal relationships, in my personal growth, in my career, in my finances, everything that I say or do is either gonna cleanse my situation or clog it, okay? And what I mean by cleanse or clog is that it's going to either create a connection, which is a cleanse, you're creating a connection, or a clog is you're driving a disconnection. You've really started at a great place because when I'm going to talk about the frequency scale, it's like when someone is going up the frequency scale of emotions, you know, that's what we want. We want them to be high up on the frequency scale and get higher and higher and higher and feel better. If they're going down, it's the opposite. You know, they're getting angrier. They're, they're dropping down into their, their fight or flight. So I use the frequency sale scale as sort of my measuring stick of where people at. And by the way, when people call in and they're that angry, the tendency I see a lot of reps in any industry is to say, oh, that person's just a jerk. Or, you know, that person's just crazy. And I absolutely ban that kind of thinking in my office because the truth is they're just fine human beings and they're in their fight or flight system. And that and their irrational behavior is the first symptom that they are in a disempowering place right now. And what we need to say to them, we we need to say the words that are going to trigger their parasympathetic or their rest and digest, right? So let's just say customer, debtor, whomever calls in and they've been wronged in a big way. So I'll throw out a situation. Um, I got a call from a a big hospital and they said, oh my gosh, Mary, can you help me? And of course I say, yes, I'm happy. What can I do for you? They said, well, there's this woman and she's trying to close on her mortgage. And what has happened is that we've had her in collections all this time and this is not her account. 
So the account was something like some bill to have her toe severed or amputated. And and she had all of her toes. This was not her. <laughs> she had tried to rectify this situation with my client for something like over six months. And nobody would listen to her. They just kept, you know, passing her off or, I mean, I don't know why, you know, the, the universe had to align just right that she kept falling through the cracks because this client of mine has exceptional customer service, but it was just one of those things, you know? So now you're getting into the point where people are threatening lawsuits when it's at this level. Okay. So when I have to step in, that's when I get the call. The person's at the level of they're threatening a lawsuit. If they sue, they're going to win because they've been clearly wronged. And the first thing I do to her is I say, when I get on that phone, I say, you know what? I just want you to know I have got the best news for you. Okay. So the first thing that I'm going to do, because I know I, I'm like, I realize that this person, I have to put myself in her shoes. Okay. You're buying a house. You got a lot of documents you got to go through. You know, your interest rate is tied in directly with your credit score, right? So there's all of these variables. And when and when she's feeling like she's doing everything she can, but there's par- portions that you can't control because other people are not cooperating with you correctly. Mm-hmm. And then it's not even your account because you have all your toes, right? I can <laughs> count them. Like, you know, <laughs> it's not like she had a prosthetic toe put on. She really did have all her toes. So my point is that when I get the most angry person, the person who's really justifiably in a bad place, and you know what? If I were her, I would be in that exact same spot, and I would be hot. First words out of my mouth have to be, I have great news for you. Works every time. I have great news for you. I want to know that I know how difficult of a struggle it has been for you. You have been so patient and you have finally got the one person on the phone who is not only going to help you and resolve your issue, but I'm going to do it today. Today. You are never going to have this problem again. Here's my name. Here's my title. Here's my contact information. Here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to write up a letter for your underwriters, your mortgage professional, whoever you need. I will get on the phone with them if that's what they prefer. I'm also going to contact the credit bureaus because, you know, we're not we're not really in a position where we can contact them, but we do have for an emergency purposes only, uh, we can go in and we can remove this off of your credit report right now this instant. To follow up, I'm going to make sure that your mortgage professional understands what the situation has been because it's not it's no fault of your own, right? So I'm just telling her, I'm validating her, I'm planting seeds of happiness, I am reinforcing a positive outcome, and I'm letting her know that her stress is over. She is never going to have to worry about this again. Question, and this is great stuff, question is, do you need to let her tell you everything again before you do that, or do you jump right into, there's no need to even tell me your story because I'm going to fix it? So I'll be really honest with you. Mm -hmm. I'm so impatient. (laughs) And the last thing I want to do is listen to her go on and on and on. Because the truth is, what's that going to do to my nervous system? Yeah. Don't people on both sides of the table get hijacked into their amygdala? So my first strategy in a situation like that, and we're talking level 10 jalapeno peppers hot, right? Mm -hmm. That I want to tell the person first what the great news is. Because I want to lessen the sting of that story that she's going to tell me. I want to change the focus off of the story. I want to build rapport and and I want to give her the confidence that I already know what's going on. Now, 
if she just called in out of the blue and this was not a prearranged phone call, that wouldn't work out the same way. Like, so if somebody just called me, hey, Mary, what's up? I got great news for you. I don't even know what they're calling about. So yeah. that wouldn't work. Right. But yeah. I'm talking about a situation that's more escalated. And um, that was the first example that came to my mind when you when you asked the question. When let's just let's reverse it and say someone just calls up. They're just mad. And, and you almost can't even understand what they're saying because they're so mad. Mm-hmm. Then we need to go right to our steps. OK, so the first step is to validate. You know, listen, I can feel how frustrated of a position that you're in right now. And I just want to let you know that I'm going to be coming up with a strategy and we're going to come up with the best solution for you. Because what we want to do is they're at the top of that frequency scale, excuse me, they're at the bottom of that frequency scale. We want to start to little by little with the words that we use because there's this huge interaction between our words and our physical bodies, right? So every word is important. We want to we want to leverage what we know about neuroscience to start calming them down a little bit. We cannot interrupt them in any way. All right. So the person calls in. They're starting their story. If I don't want to listen to that story a second time, I better get these steps right. So I'm going to validate and, and I'll use different words. So like if somebody's yelling, I'll say something like I can feel how frustrated you are because you know what? Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, you know, I'm going to call up that Mary Shores today and just make her have a bad day. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that's not their goal. Their goal is they want their problem solved. What they need from me is confidence and intelligence and like competence in my job to be able to know what the solution is. But I need to get them to trust me first. And so if I say to someone, I can feel how frustrated you are internally, that is going to trigger them to understand that their emotional state is now affecting another human being. And believe it or not, they will just, it's a subconscious thing, but they will begin to tone it down a little bit Mm -hmm. because that was not their intention. Their Mm -hmm. intention was not to make me feel their frustration. If it's not that bad or, you know, like they're just, they're more calm. I might say, you know, I can see why you have all these concerns. I can totally see why you have these concerns. And then you just follow those steps, go into the next thing, which is, I want to assure you that I'm going to take down all of your information and research the situation as thoroughly as possible. I have a question for you as a leader, you have employees that work for you. How do you keep them in a mental state of, I want to come back to work every day and deal with these problems because I can only imagine what it's like when you're on the phone all day long dealing with people who haven't paid their bills or maybe have, but the frustration level Mm -hmm. I'm sure is very high. They're ducking and hiding from you. They won't answer the phone letters. And so most of the time I would assume that it is somewhat confrontational when you get people on the phone. How do you as a leader keep your employees in a good frame of mind so that they don't say, you know what, there's a lot of other things I could be doing with my life other than arguing with people all day over money that they owe. How how do you keep them in a good spot? Well, I think the first thing is that everyone who works here is aligned with my mission. So everyone that works here, you know, Simon Sinek says, hire people who believe what you believe. So I quite literally do that. We let people know 
right during the interview process. A lot of people research me personally ahead of time and choose to come and work here because they know what we're about. They know what we're trying to accomplish. They see us as a leader, not only in the collections industry, but also in the personal development world. And they just want to be a part of that. So I like to attract people who want to be a part of what we're doing. The other part is I think that because of my investment in personal development, you know, I'm always wanting to share that with the staff. So when they're here, they they know that they're going to get the type of mentoring that is going to facilitate getting them to whatever their next level is. You know, don't tell me what you've been doing. Tell me where you want to go. Mm-hmm. And, you know, let's let's put the things in place that are going to help you do that. You know, and I, I like I'm kind of a simple person. You know, I like things to be simple. I like things to be in three steps and I like them to be easily digestible. Some of the results, if you have ineffective leadership, you can have low morale, negative atmosphere and a high turnover rate. And that is historically an issue in the collections field in general. Whereas if you have effective leadership, you're going to have high productivity, positive atmosphere, stability, loyalty, streamlined operations. And what you have to offer, I believe, to your staff, it's literally like I serve them. They don't serve me. I serve them. And what I give them is we have fully documented work instructions so that every process, there is a how to get that done. We have extensive training programs in our, when people onboard at our office, we have a several week boot camp that they go through where they're going to actually learn every single job. That way later when they're in their personal position, they understand the the interconnectedness of all the, they understand like how important the person is who does data entry because they did that job. They understand the skip tracing piece. You know, they understand how everything has to work together. One of my biggest things that I'm a proponent of is people need to understand exactly what it is they're in control of. You know, they, if their job is that they're on the telephone, They need to know what their boundaries are, what their expectation is, what their level of authority is. They need to understand inside, outside, backwards and forwards, just what it is that they are able to do. And when people can know their job that well, they're going to, they're just going to be high achievers and and high performers. Mm -hmm. You've been in a leadership role for many years now, since you were what, 24, 25? 24, yes. Since you were 24. And have you seen the way your style, has it changed at all from a young leader, you know, at 24, 25 up to where you are now? I mean, have you evolved as a leader? I'm evolving now because of these millennials. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I came from old school, right? Control and demand. Yep. Right. You did what you were told. You didn't question it. And, and then it was also as a leader 20 years ago, people wanted to be told, mm-hmm. you know, people, people wanted to be told exactly what to do. So yeah, I, I evolved when my confidence built, I evolved when I really started understanding what empowerment was and how to empower people. Because as a small business owner, one of the he- biggest mistakes I see small business owners make time and time again, is that they are constantly trying to put out every fire, do every job themselves. And instead of letting their workforce just have some free reign and have some control, letting them figure figure things out, make some decisions, because you can only really grow to the to the level of your own management ability. Mine was about, you know, 20 people. Mm-hmm. When it got above 20 people, it's like, I need some help. I knew that that was my limit. And so I started having to evolve different strategies. 
But now, you know, with the millennial generation, you have to relearn what they need because they want to they want to make an impact and their needs are somewhat different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, one of the questions we always ask on our podcast is, you know, have you ever worked for or been around or, or seen a great leader, um, man or a woman? And what what exemplifies in your mind, I guess, great leadership? I have seen so many great leaders, typically in other business clients that I work with. There's a company that, that I work with that does our tech support and they have great leadership. And, you know, they also invest heavily in personal development. They bring speakers in to talk to their staff. They have, you know, they're, they're giving back, running monthly incentives, giving people what they need. And also making sure every single employee understands what their position is, why they're doing it, and have, you know, maybe even a one sentence, simple mission statement for their particular position. Hmm, Great. Well, what about the opposite of that? Have you ever seen poor leadership and, and the effects that poor leadership has? Being from the collection world, you know, I get a lot of receivables and I can see, you know, I can get easy accounts because I I had this one client and their leadership style was very top down, if you know what I mean by that. So, Mm -hmm. you know, there were there was people at the top calling the shots and the people at the bottom had no idea. There was no lack of communication was a big issue and people seem to be operating out of fear. So the decisions they made on a daily basis seem to be motivated by fear mm-hmm. instead of motivated by being productive. And it was honestly great for me because they had tons of accounts for collections because they weren't processing anything correctly. Sure. So it was easy stuff for us to collect on. Point is that their bottom line didn't look as good yeah. because they they just didn't follow structured procedures and everything was top down and whoever that top person was, they could change their mind from moment to moment. I I have a lot of clients as well. And and we do see that if fear is a primary tool that they use to drive behavior, you're always going to have negative consequences where potential gain is, is what people want and lack of fear is another, but as a tool, it, it, it definitely becomes a problem. Have you heard the term fundamental attribution error? No. Okay. So fundamental attribution error is when we tend to see the faults of others but we want to be graded on our own intent. Okay. So, so what happens is, is that anytime somebody else does something wrong, we quickly judge them and we place blame on them because they must be a bad person. They've made bad decisions. They're in debt for a reason, blah, blah, blah. But mm-hmm. when we do anything wrong, we want to be graded on our intent, not based on what our actual actions are. Well, you don't understand. I didn't mean for that to happen. Or you don't understand... I personally think that misunderstood my intent on this whole thing. And yeah, and so, they feel justified. Yeah, because they want to be graded on their intent, but they grade others on their actions. A lot of ineffective leaders have good intentions. They come to work every day not to get pissed off and yell at their employees and to throw stuff around and so on and so forth, but they do it. And it's because they lack self-awareness. They have this big blind spot. And so they say, grade me on my intent. I'm sorry I just went nuts on you over here and yelled and screamed, but I've apologized. So now we should forget about that. Let's move on. And it's like Groundhog Day. They do it every single day, but they want to be graded on their intent. I'm trying to get better as a leader. I'm working on it. If you employees would stop screwing up, I wouldn't get mad all the time. Their self-awareness is lacking so much 
because they are not open to feedback because feedback hurts them. Well, they don't want to hear that. So they're not open to feedback because that feedback only hurts. But it does feel that way to them. You have time for a quick story? Sure. Okay, so I got this. This is exactly what you're talking about. And it'll give you give you an alternate, more information to think about, okay? Because okay. I, I'm a very self-aware person. So this past year, it was Christmas time, right? And like we do this Christmas photo every year where the staff, you know, we take a picture and we get it printed and send it out to clients. My staff thought it would be a good idea to have these two new girls do the Christmas picture this year because, you know, nobody wants to mess with it. So I come in, it's the day for the Christmas picture, and I see these girls and they've been to like the craft store and they've got all this paper and little straws and glue and they're making these crafts for the Christmas picture and one entire wall of my in my building I've got a 4,000 square foot office one entire wall had been wrapped like a Christmas package and they were putting up all these decorations now inside me what's happening I'm like what is going on here, mm-hmm. right because people people aren't working and I'm just like getting hot under the collar don't let that scary Mary out be calm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I kind of go on. And then next thing you know, like the emails, like, hey, let's get ready for the Christmas picture. And we go, they gather everybody up. And the next thing they say is, oh, well, we're not going to take this picture in small groups. We're going to get everybody together and do one large picture. Well, in the past, we've always done like groups of five people and then sort of, you know, did one of those collage type deals. Again, I'm getting hot under the collar. And, and I don't know why at this point. I'm just getting mad right? I'm acting like the Scrooge. So we go, we get all arranged for the Christmas picture and they start taking them and the phones are ringing off the hook and nobody's answering the phone. That's why you're getting mad. Exactly. So I eventually blow and I'm like, okay, we're done. We're done. Everybody back to their desk. Well, I realized, so I thought about this because I felt icky, you know, like I felt icky over myself. I walked away from that interaction and just felt dirty. And I had to think about it, like what's really going on here? And what I, and and so this goes back to like that boss that will say, well, if you guys were not so incompetent, I wouldn't behave this way. Right. So what I realized was it, it boiled down to an issue of boundaries, expectation, and level of authority. So I could trace this back to like, say three months prior to when these girls had been assigned the Christmas picture. And it's just a dumb Christmas picture, but it's such a great example of what you're talking about because the people that gave them the picture These are the new employees. Of course, they want this Christmas picture to be the biggest, best Christmas picture in the history of Christmas pictures. Mm -hmm. But they weren't given any boundaries to say you can spend this much money on props or you can spend 20 minutes on decorating. You can take two people out of their desks to help you decorate. So instead, they got the entire office involved and nobody was working. And I realized that my reaction was more over the fact of they had wiped out the foundation of our business because nobody was answering the phone. Sure. And what's more important is that we're answering the phone. So nobody had taken the time to communicate boundaries, expectation, and level of authority with them. Next year, you're going to be like, screw it. I'm not letting anybody mess with the Christmas picture because it cost me a whole bunch of money. We had all this stuff. Nobody was working. And so the leader then tends to take back control and say, from now on, I guess I'm going to have to be in charge of the Christmas photo as well, because everybody that I empower screws it up. 
I think that the 20 years ago me would have done that, mm-hmm. you know, because things were about power and control back then. But you know, you talked about evolving leadership. And so what I did was like, I explored that feeling I was having, I felt uncomfortable with the way I had behaved. And I explored that. And I asked myself several questions and to get to the root of the issue did like a root cause analysis. And then what I did was I brought in some of my team and I said, you know what, I want to talk about this because I'm really embarrassed at my behavior. And it's kind of like you said, the apology thing. Mm -hmm. I said, tell me, tell me something to one of the girls, Misty. I said, tell me something. They told you that we were doing this all as one group picture instead of smaller groups. Did you know I was going to blow? She goes, oh yeah, I knew you were going to (laughs) blow. I said, well, why do you say anything? She's like, I don't know. So I questioned them one by one. I said, okay, at what point did you realize? Because they, and and turned out all of them predicted accurately my reaction. Yes, all of them did. And I said, so can we see that here would be an opportunity that instead of letting these two girls sink themselves, that you guys could have stepped in as leaders and said, hey, you know, here's the formula that we use. This is how we know to make the Christmas picture a success. And this is what's going to be the, the least amount of disruption. And these girls would have happily taken that direction. One way to be a good leader is you have to empower the other people to also step up as leaders. Yeah, absolutely. And not just always waiting to be told how to do things. And through spaced repetition, we create habits. And so right. that's where the self, the lack of self-awareness, we create space repetition of bad habits. And over a period of time, those bad habits, whether they're good or bad, if that's how we, if we fix every problem with a sledgehammer and that's the only tool we have to work with, we fix every problem with a sledgehammer. And until we recognize, man, this sledgehammer isn't getting me the results that I'm looking for. I need other tools. You just keep doing the same thing over and over again. So good information. Well, good story. I appreciate you guys listening to my silly Christmas picture story. <laughs> no, it's it's very <laughs> applicable. And it, you know, it's crazy. There's so many leaders out there, and I've worked with so many over the years that struggle with the exact same problems. They know what they need their employees to do. You know, they're responsible for the payroll. Employees aren't necessarily. And so employees don't know. They they don't know that they're not supposed to be doing X or Y until we do. We give them boundaries and we give them some expectations of You know, if we're all going to win, this is what we all have to focus on. Right. Because, you know, if those girls had simply been told the expectation is that Christmas picture is not a higher priority than answering the phones. Right. So had those words been spoken to them, it would have been a totally different outcome. Yeah. And if if it was something that they really want to do that was great and they want to come in when everybody's not on the clock and do all of this, it might have turned out to be the best Christmas picture in history. But when you give them the (laughs) empowerment of do you want to do this after hours or during hours? If they say, well, it's not that important to us to do it after hours. Okay, great. Then we're on the same page. But right, yeah, right. give them options. Wonderful. Well, if someone wanted to get in touch with you, what's the best way to find you? And more importantly, you have a book coming out. We want to know more about that and, and how people can get a copy of that as well. Thanks. I can be found anywhere just under my name, Mary Shores. So you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm happy to connect with anyone on LinkedIn. I love my LinkedIn account. We have a public Facebook page, Mary Shores. We have a website, maryshores.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, or Pinterest under Mary Shores. Shores. And as far as the book is going, we do have an offer. So the book is available for pre-order right now through Hay House as the publisher. And we've got about, I don't know, six weeks left before it'll actually be printed and mailed to everyone. In order to support our pre-order period, we are giving people 
a workbook that I created. It's actually a five-day challenge called Dream with a Deadline. I love this challenge. There's a Facebook group set up for it called Fearless Ambition. So if people pre-order the book, they will get a free copy of the Dream with a Deadline five-day challenge. They will also get a Daily Desires Diary, which I created based on kind of like a journaling page where you're going to write down three gratitudes, three desires, and three things you're proud of every single day. I love doing practices like that as a as a daily practice. We've also, for your listeners, given you a link to another personal development challenge called Ignite Your Dreams. So if someone would like to little learn a little bit more without buying the book, they can um, grab that download. Wonderful. Well, I know Randy's going to have... Yeah, we'll put everything in the show notes so everyone can pre-order your book. Wonderful. Hey, thank you so much. This has been... This has been great, actually. It's been really good. And I know that we have a lot of listeners that will download your book. And, and I mean, your, your pre-work and we'll also order your book. And, and hopefully we can have you back on after your book comes back out and have a lot of success with it and kind of talk about what's happened since then and, and what the steps are moving forward. I would love to. Okay. Thanks for listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us. Every little bit helps. Our website is hpleadershippodcast.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash hpleadershippodcast. Follow us on Twitter at hpl underscore podcast. And shoot us an email at podcast at 360solutions.com. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.